Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, welcome back to the Equipping and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for the show. And with me today is my new friend, Jeff Myers. Jeff, welcome to the show, brother. Dave, great to be with you. Yeah, it's great to great to have you, brother. Well, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your life, marriage, ministry, and any ministry projects you're working on? Well, I'm the president of Summit Ministries, which is a youth-oriented program to equip and support this rising generation to embrace God's truth and to champion a biblical worldview. And we do that mainly through two week long courses of study curriculum that we produce uh, media interviews, all of those kinds of things, just trying to bring a biblical worldview to bear on the big issues of our day. And we're, we're located. I wish I could flip the camera around. And you could see this in the beautiful Rocky mountains, right at the foot of Pikes peak in a little hippie town called Manitou Springs. And uh, my wife, Stephanie, and I uh, are, we're, we, um, we've been doing this ministry together, and it is, uh, it's incredibly exciting to see a rising generation prepared to stand for truth, especially as they head off to university campuses and other places where truth isn't even thought highly of anymore. Mm, well. That is so awesome. And it's a great privilege to talk with you because you've had a number of people that I know uh, I've interviewed and those kind of things interacted with at at Summit. And I've, so I've I've definitely have heard of what you guys are doing and I'm thankful for how the Lord is using your ministry. So, Well, thank you. We've got 75 instructors here who teach our students throughout each of the summer programs. So there's a good chance that we have a lot of friends in common. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, brother, can you uh, tell us about this great new book that you've written? Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Time of Crisis, Why You Wrote It, and How You Hope It'll Be Received. Yeah, let me give you a little bit of backstory, Dave. Um, a year and a half ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. And the, the doctors were telling me, we have a very good chance of beating this if we treat it aggressively. And But while they were telling me that, my mind was wandering to, wow, this could really be the end. I thought I might live a longer life. I mean, my grandfather, who smoked and drank and ate bacon every single day of his life, died at age 91. <laughs> so I, it, was, it was a shock. And, I, it, and a lot of it was very personal. I thought, wow, I was so looking forward to those road trips with Stephanie, just with the windows rolled down and the music blaring and our dog in the backseat. I was so looking forward to being able to hold my grandchildren. And you know, David, moments like that, what's most important to you comes right to the forefront. And I found myself in a situation of, of I was in the process of writing, uh, starting to write this book. And, and I wondered, is this, should I continue with this? I mean, what if this is the last thing I ever get to write? And I decided that if this is the last thing I ever get to write, the subject of truth is exactly what I want to write on. 
So I tell the story of, of the battle that we're facing in our culture over truth. And I know we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But I found myself particularly drawn to the life stories of other people, people who were they didn't set out to be world changers. They just set out to be the very best scientists and artists and educators and judges that they could possibly be because they believed that Jesus is the truth and the world changed as a result. And they did this in times of great crisis, far greater times of crisis than we find ourselves in today. And so my big question was, can we do the same thing today? And the answer is yes. So I've now been in remission from cancer for 12 months. I thank the Lord for that. Mm. Every day is a gift. Mm. But every single day of my life now is dedicated to getting this message out that truth changes everything. Mm. Well, pray, first, praise the Lord that you're well and that you are in remission. Uh, thank the Lord for, you know, his providential hand at work in your life. And so I'm thankful to hear that. And that story that you shared just now is it's in the book, guys, and it's it's very captivating. It definitely, you know, pulls the heartstrings and makes you want to engage further and draws your reader in. So, you know, as a, as a writer myself and an author, I'm thankful for that. You know, anything that you can and and the editor of me is like, yes, go you, go Jeff. You know, like draw your reader in, draw that reader in. You know, so you know, good job getting them. You know, that hook. You know, and keeping them engaged. So really good, and you, and you do that really well actually throughout the throughout the uh, the book. So. Yeah, really, I really appreciated that. A lot. You know, Dave, a, lo a lot of this book is stories. Yeah. I decided to tell stories of amazing people. Now, they were quirky. Some of them were difficult to get along with. They were everyday people, but they did extraordinary things. And I hope we get a chance to tell some of the stories because there are some remarkable uh, people that, and, and most of these stories are ones that have not been widely told. I, you know, we've had a lot of Christian biographies through the years. But some of these are ones that I think people would be very surprised. Yeah. What are what are some that stand out to you that as you as you wrote uh, this book, what are some of those stories that stood out to you? Maybe you know what? One or two. Yeah. So some of the areas I gravitate to are science and also I, I gravitate toward the arts because that's been an area where Christians find it very difficult to engage. But let me just tell you a story about the arts really quickly. In the early 1700s, there was a priest in Venice named Antonio Vivaldi. And he was not a very good priest, not because he didn't want to be. He was just so consumed with music that he couldn't think about his priestly duties. In fact, one time he was conducting mass and he thought of a musical passage right in the middle of mass and he just left. Right in the middle of mass, he just walked off and uh, went behind the screen and started writing music. Uh, he came back several minutes later People were wondering what had happened to him. His fellow priests were not amused by this, but the head of his diocese said, being a musician, Vivaldi could not help but not be in his right mind. And you think, well, how could somebody who feels a calling to, the, to pastoral ministry, but is really drawn toward music, bring those things together? Mm. And Dave, what happened is that Vivaldi became a composer for orphans. In Venice in that day, there was a large orphanage called the Ospitale della Pieta. And in the Ospitale, there were thousands of children who had been cared for. Many of them had been born with physical defects, so their parents sadly did not want them. Many had been born into prostitution, and their mothers uh, sadly were not willing to take care of them. 
And so they were just dropped off at this orphanage in a little drawer in the wall that was designed for that purpose. And then the people there at the orphanage took care of them until age 16. Mm. Well, at age 16, the boys could go out and get jobs. But what about the girls? They had no hopes. They had no prospects. There wasn't, you couldn't just uh, be a young woman and engage in a vocation. You would end up on the streets. Uh, you couldn't get married because you'd have to have a dowry to do that. And these young women were the poorest of the poor. They could afford no dowries. Mm. So Vivaldi trained them in music, Dave, and turned them into the best choirs and orchestras in Europe. Mm. People came from all over Europe to hear these young women perform. And the mm. first the first that I had heard about this was reading uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau's book, Confessions, where he mm. talks about going to the hospital and, and, and meeting these young women. Mm. But the incredible thing, Dave, to me is, because we always wonder, how do you tie together something like being in ministry and your love of music? Mm. And Vivaldi became a better composer because he was composing for the orphans. Just to mm. give you a quick example, you know, writing, a, a, most people know what a concerto is. It's a, it's a piece of what we now call classical music that features a solo instrument, say a violin. Writing a concerto would be the equivalent level of difficulty of writing a book. Vivaldi wrote 500 concertos that we know of and in one period of his life, composing for the orphans, he composed a new concerto every two weeks over the course of six years. Mm. So he helped these young women who had no hope and no prospects develop something of their lives. And in the process, he became a great composer. Vivaldi is now known as one of the two composers who formed the Baroque period of music, which changed the whole course of musical history, the other being Johann Sebastian Bach. Yeah. And he did it all because he loved Jesus, and he loved music, and he loved helping to take care of people, and he thought that he could give these young women a shot at a good life. Hmm. That's amazing. Praise God. Yeah, that's wonderful. Love that. You know, on this podcast, we've been talking a lot about the doctrine of scripture and how it's under attack and, you know, standing for truth and, and all of that. You know, how can we stand for the, the doctrine of scripture in a time when, you know, the word of the the Oxford word of the dictionary a few years ago is post-truth? Yeah. Well, Dave, you know, people talk about post-truth and, and usually the way they say it is, I don't seek the truth. I speak my truth. And that is a cultural shift that is huge and it's ominous that we are now for the first time in American history that I'm aware of, we are in a place where the majority of people now say that truth is not objectively knowable, that it's up to the individual. So in a world like this, what does anything mean? What does scripture mean? Well, what does the law of gravity mean? Nothing has meaning anymore, even math is coming under attack. New math curricula coming out saying you can't tell children that there is a correct answer. You can't tell children to show their work because there is no truth. Well, if there is no truth, then the conversation we're having right now makes no sense because we are using words that we assume signify certain concepts or ideas. Uh, without that understanding, we can't even have communication. You not only can't have communication, but what about things like justice? If justice is just a word 
and I have my feelings about justice and you have your feelings about justice, who's to say what is really just? Mm. Anything that we take for granted begins to crumble. We have to get this right. We have to figure out how to recover the truth. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You're, you're hitting on something that, you know, I've been I've been hitting on, too. Like, how can we have how you can't even like you're saying you can't even have the, the meaning of words. So why even have dictionaries? And then why right. even have classrooms like you to your point and why even, you know, we we're I think I think the larger point that that we probably should dive into is the idea a little bit in is the idea of deconstruction, which totally is. Yeah, I've been studying that a lot. And what they've been saying, even from a secular standpoint, is what it's assaulting kind of like evolution did when it came out. Um, it's that kind of serious issue. And the more that I'm diving into that and and understanding that a little bit more, it's it's quite it's quite alarming. And we're not talking about that, you know, enough, but it relates that relates actually to our larger conversation because it's stripping the meaning of words. And that's what it, that's what uh, Derrida wanted to do. He wanted to strip the meaning away from words and it's it's doing it. I mean, when you have secular secular people even noticing that and commenting on it, that's really when you should really pay attention. So, yeah, that's right. That's right. It's not just believers. In fact, in some ways, the church is behind uh, on this. Only 19 percent, possibly as low as 9 percent of people who claim to be Christians and regularly attend church even have a biblical worldview. So there's a huge disconnect between what happens on Sundays when we go to worship and how we understand the rest of our lives. Jesus had no such confusion. This should be uh, pointed out. John 8, 32, Jesus said, if you follow my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There are a couple of key things there as you study scripture. One is that word truth. If you look back at the Greek, which is the language in which the, the New Testament was presented to us, that word truth is aletheia. It means reality. Jesus is not saying, if you follow my teachings, you will know your truth. You'll He does not say, you'll feel better about your truth. You'll be able to discover your truth. He's saying, no, if you follow my teachings, you will know reality. And that reality will set you free. Think of all the things we need to be set free from, Dave. I mean, the young adults I work with, 75% of them say they do not have a sense of purpose that gives them meaning in life. 53% say they regularly struggle with anxiety and depression. We think that abandoning truth sets us free, but it just makes us captive. Mm, it's really good. It's really good. You know, and, and related to this idea of biblical truth, you know, you were touching earlier on the history. And I think that, you know, in the church today, we, we not only need to help people understand the truth, the doctrine of Scripture, but then also what the church has taught about Scripture and I think, uh, you know, we we get all confused on that point. But, um, you know, what are who are some maybe some historical examples that you think of that that did that really well? They stood for the truth and then, you know, they stood for what the church has taught about the truth. Well, th there are a lot of there are a lot of examples I can think of. Uh, let me just give you let me just give you one, because it does relate directly to scripture of an educator. A lot of people know that the top universities in the world, the 15, in fact, the 15 top universities in the world were all started as seminaries. They were all started by Christians. None of the 15 
remain in those convictions to this day, which is very sad, but that's how they started. One of them was Oxford University. An early professor at Oxford University was a guy named John Wycliffe, and a brilliant guy, and, and he was determined that scripture would be written out in the English language. Well, that was problematic for a couple of reasons. One, if you do that, you're taking scripture from the Latin, which was considered to be the ultimate language, and then putting it into an inferior language. That would be an affront to God. Such a thing should actually result in the death penalty. That was the thinking uh, at that time. Uh, the second thing is the English language was not very well formed. There was no standard English. But John Wycliffe was determined. He said, Moses heard from God in his own language. The disciples heard from Jesus in their own language. People today need to be able to hear from God in their own language. So in spite of all of the risks, he translated the Bible into English. And in the process, he standardized the English language. Dave, there are 1,100 words in the Wycliffe translation of the Bible that are presented in the English language for the first time. Mm. In other words, he made up these words, words like communication and persuasion. Even the word wordy is used for the first time in the Wycliffe That's translation of the Bible. Yeah, so, so here you have this guy who believes in the truth. He wants the word of God to be spread to everyday people. Mm -hmm. And in the process, he standardizes a language which has since become the number one trade language in the world. Everything good that we look at in the world today somehow ties back to something that happened in the English language. And I and I, I don't mean to sound, you know, people say, well, that's that's xenophobic. No, it's just is the way it is. English is the number one trade language in the world, and the standardizing of English changed the course of history for the better for everyone in the world. Mm, I love that because you know, we but we both know and our audience knows that we're talking to, they know because I talk to them about it a lot. But we're we're we as Christians have been at the forefront, you know, on these type these that's just one example. But I mean you could use a hundred examples, you know, education, um, you know, hospitals, care, counseling. I mean, on and on and on it goes. And uh, I didn't know I didn't know that about Wycliffe, Wycliffe, and that's really interesting because I'll have to go and read that a little bit more. But uh, so thank you for that. But yeah, uh, check that out. I, I put that yeah. in the education chapter of Truth Changes Everything. But there are also chapters on how we care for one another, what it even means to be human. The we have this core assumption that human beings have value. Where did that come from? It didn't come from Greece. It didn't come from Rome. It didn't come from ancient Egypt. It came from the belief that the Hebrews brought and then the Christians brought that human beings bear God's image. And uh, Thomas Aquinas built his entire philosophy, which is still probably the most influential single philosophical work ever produced in the history of humanity on the idea that human beings have a soul and that we bear God's image. So you, you just start there, and then you go from there into caring. Why would you care for people if they didn't have if if people didn't have value? The Greeks and the Romans didn't care for people. They thought if somebody is sick, you should abandon them because they're they're preventing you from progressing to where you need to go. 
uh, it was the Christians who came along and said, no, if somebody is sick, then you go sit with them. Why? Because Jesus sits with the sick. And if you want to be with Jesus, that's where you're going to go. Mm, that's really, really good. You know, we're talking about the truth and there might be Christians out there and they see the statistics. There was just a ligonier state of theology. Gallup came out and, you know, said that the myth option is very, you know, the fairy tale myth option is very strong in our population and in America right now. And even among Christians, you know, that's really discouraging. Uh, we talk, have talked about it on the show as well. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? And what would you say to Christians who believe truth is lost and what hope would you give them? Yeah, you know, I think we have to reclaim truth, and that's going to start by looking at the source of truth. So the claim I'm making in the book, Truth Changes Everything, and it will be very controversial, is this. The truth exists, and it's not just a mathematical formula. It's not just a logical proposition. It's a person. It's Jesus. And people who believed that Jesus is the truth are the ones who brought about all of the things that we think of as good in our world today. So I, I would say to Christians who are struggling with this, just stop paying attention to the people who say there is no truth. That statement, there is no truth, makes no sense if there is no truth. So just set it aside and start asking the questions, what evidence is there that truth really exists? And then what happens if I live? as if Jesus is the truth in my life. That's when things really start to change. The people who changed the world were not, you know, some of them were pretty incredible people. They, they did amazing things at a young age, but many of them were just everyday people who decided, I, I, I'm just, I'm not going to be afraid anymore. I'm not going to live in fear. You know, that's the number one command in scripture, do not fear. I'm not gonna live in fear anymore. I think that's the thing we've got to decide as as Americans today, and, I'm, and people are probably uh, watching and listening to this from all over the world. But as an American, I'm just speaking from my experience. Uh, we we do a lot of polls at Summit Ministries, not to be a polling company, but just to understand the cultural moment that we're a part of. And it turns out that about half the people who really do seem to grasp the truth, who have a common sense understanding of the world, about half of them don't say anything. So as not to offend anyone or risk losing their job. As long as a third of the people in our country are unwilling to stand for truth because they are afraid, there's not a lot of hope. Mm. And it, it is, you know, Will Durant said in his great book on Caesar and Christ and a section about the fall of the Roman Empire, he said, a nation is not conquered from without until it has destroyed itself from within. That's our challenge. And there now listen, we we have bad times. Inflation is bad, lots of things are bad. But the times of crisis that we face are no different. In fact, in many ways they're not nearly as bad as times of crisis in the past. And I talk about some of these in the book. In fact, one that was so devastating that it probably killed a third to half of the people in Europe. Out of that, you would think, oh, that if anything's going to lead to nihilism, that would be it, right? If anything is going to be the end of the world, that would be it. But it wasn't. It was the beginning because people said, okay, there's only one thing we know. Jesus is here with us. 
Mm. He is walking with us in the middle of our pain. He is not ignoring it. That single truth led to innovations in art, in music, in architecture, in economics, in literature, and in science, in all these other areas. So as you can tell, I have tremendous hope, although we are at a moment of deciding what we do in our lifetimes, even within the next 10 years, will make or break uh, where we go next. Mm. It's really, it's really well said. You know, that's, that's one of the reasons why we, my wife and I, we've been talking about education of our kids and she is very, my wife is very passionate about that. And it's kind of rubbing off on me a lot. Um, and, and other, other topics. I mean, we are seeing, as you know, well, a multi-pronged assault on truth and we know the truth. We have the truth. You know, it reminds me as you're talking about uh, the book of signs, uh, John five through uh, chapters five through 12, the religious leaders, they, Jesus is teaching them. He's performing miracles, showing, you know, his full deity and humanity. And what do they do? The religious leaders reject him. They turn back in John 12. We, we find in fact that their hearts were actually hardened like Pharaoh. And uh, we need to, we need to remember that too, that, even as we present the truth, um, we do so in love. We contend for the truth, but we trust God, you know, and we do it boldly. And we need to stand up and we need to be counted. Um, we need to not be afraid. Like you said, uh, it's a command in scripture. It's a command that is given because we have a sovereign God and a good God and a faithful God. And God's faithful to his word. So, you know, praise the Lord for that, you know. And so. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know what ages your children are, but I, I know a lot of people are thinking through the educational options they face right now. And we've seen uh, we've seen a revolution in education since the year 2000. People who don't have children don't necessarily see it. But there has been a huge revolution where homeschooling has skyrocketed. Uh, the number of charter schools, which are schools operated without teachers unions, has skyrocketed. The number uh, the Christian schools, every Christian school that I have talked to is packed to the gills with waiting lists. People are starting to wake up right now. This is the time. This is the time. That's why I just was so excited that this book, Truth Changes Everything, gets to come out right now. It just it, it just feels like, OK, this could be the rallying cry that we really need. Mm. Yeah, it's really good, really good, and and we do need it. We do need we need do need books like yours to to encourage us, to instruct us, to help us that are full of practical help. You you do a really good job, not only pulling your reader in, but keeping your keeping your reader you know engaged with the truth uh, from God's word. So it's really really good. You you're, you discuss in the book how Christians today can breathe life into others through conversations. Yeah. What do you what do you mean by that? Well, the, the reality that Jesus came as a person changes not only how we understand truth, but how we communicate about truth. If truth is just a set of logical propositions, then it's just brutal. No, it is. You, you ignore it to your own peril. And there are some truths like that in the universe. If I, I'm, I'm sitting next to the Summit Ministries headquarters building here, which is the Grandview Hotel, it's five stories high. If I went up to the top of that building thinking strong feelings of upness and I jump, I'm still going down. You don't 
violate the law of gravity, you prove it. But relationships would be the same way. If truth is nothing but a set of logical propositions, then, you know, you, somebody would say, well, that's just the brutal truth. You just didn't want to hear it, right? That human relations begin to break down. They become mean-spirited in every way. But if truth is a person, if Jesus is the truth, then how we communicate about the truth is part of the truth. So that's, that's why I focus on conversation. And it's not it, because we, we want to get away from the idea that the, the battle over truth is, you know, the two people beating their heads against one another and instead see it as two people walking side by side as they pursue the truth. So that happens through conversation. It's the main thing that we teach at Summit Ministries. It's a huge breakthrough for every student we work with. In the book, I share 14 different ways that you can do this. And everyone is illustrated with something practical, like a real life conversation that you might actually have so that you can turn people's hearts toward truth. Mm, you want to share some of those uh, particular point, those 14, maybe just one or two of those? Yeah, I'd be happy to. The Well, the first one and the most important one is learning how to ask questions. A lot of people think, you know, if I'm going to have a conversation about something difficult, it's going to only work if I can be super clever like Ben Shapiro on the Internet. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, watch Ben Shapiro dismantle the pro-abortionist arguments in two minutes. Uh, that's going to get a lot of clicks. And we somehow think that we have to be brilliant like that. The truth is God has placed us in not in an Internet community, not in a social media community, but in an actual community with real people, real people we see every day at the grocery store, at the coffee shop, at the park, playing with their dogs, um, playing with their children, whatever. That's our real community. OK, that's the real thing that happens in our lives. And in those communities, because I live in one that's a little hippie town here, I mean, the variety of beliefs expressed in a town like mine, you can hardly believe. <laughs> but I have found over time that inviting conversation rather than shutting it down is a huge witnessing tool. Now, I know that goes against everything that we see in social media, but it's what really works. So, for instance, somebody says something and I think, wow, what a crazy thing that is that they have just said. Instead of immediately trying to refute it, I ask, I use five conversation altering words. Tell me more about that. Wow. Tell me more about that. Everywhere students go these days on college campus, th they all know, they'll tell me, there are things we can't talk about, or we'll get kicked out of school, or we'll get graded down, or we will be socially shamed. University campus has become the, the most restrictive place for people to think well in the entire United States of America. Where are Christians going to go to open it up? Right where you're already going. This is already your life. Uh, I, I mean, I can I can tell you a story. It takes a couple of minutes, but if it would be helpful. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Okay. Well, you know, here here in Manitou Springs, it's a little hippie town, as I mentioned. People have said to me when I travel around the country, I, I bet I bet it's very liberal there. Or I bet everybody there voted for Bernie Sanders. And I say, oh, you don't understand my town. Bernie Sanders is way too conservative to be the president of the United States, according to my neighbors. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. So you got to think you got to go to Bernie Sanders and then take a a hard left if you're going to end up where the people in this town are. Wow. So I was I was sitting at a soccer game. My son was playing soccer, sitting next to one of my friends there. Her sons were playing soccer and she started telling me about all the meditation experiences that she had been learning uh, and having lately. And she was very excited about this, very excited that she felt that she was getting breakthroughs in her personal spiritual life. And what she was talking about is all new age. Uh, well, you know, I'm thinking, how do I best respond to this? And I, I just decided just I want to I want to hear her story. This is really important to her. So tell me more about that. She talked about her meditation experiences, about the experience of the God, the force of God and so forth. And then she just turned to me as friends would do for one another and just said, well, how do you see all of this? And I said, I have a strong sense that God is not a force, but is a person. And I talked about the revelation of God through Jesus Christ. John 1, God became, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we perceived his glory. The glory is the only, the one and only son of the father, full of grace and truth. And so I just shared some, I just shared that. She was fascinated by this. She said to me, really? Well, if, if God is a person, do you talk to him? It was just the most innocent question in the world. And I said, well, yes, I do. But at that moment, I was going through a very difficult season of life. And I said, I do. I talk to God through prayer. But sometimes I feel like uh, God's not really, I feel like God's not really, I, I don't think our communication is very good right now. And, and we, she was just about to ask me a question about that when another lady came and sat down right in between the two of us. We looked at her. It was a lot of drama. She had been crying. We asked, what's wrong? And she said that she just received some bad family news. She didn't want to talk about it, but she was wiping tears from her face. And this other lady, the new ager, reached over, put her arm around this newcomer and said, it's going to be okay. Jeff will pray for you. And he's really good at that. And I just remember thinking, were we having the same conversation? (laughs) Because I just thought I shared as vulnerably as I could that I had been finding prayer to be very difficult lately. But what she heard was, you're the kind of person I trust because you're my friend and you're willing to have the conversations. Wonderful. You know, it reminds me of what you shared is about growing up in very... And I mean, very new agey Seattle, very secular. And here I am. I'm the guy in high school. I carried the Bible around. I, I was the guy that people shouldn't want to talk to, but I was the guy that they did talk to. And I was very intentional about that. And just just the same kind of thing. Go walking up to people. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Or even yeah. who do you think Jesus is? Oh, my goodness. You ask somebody that you better you better get ready for to to stay for a little while and buckle in, you know, like you know your mouth guard, yeah. your head gear, your body gear, and everything, <laughs> the whole nine yards. And so, yeah. yeah, well, you know, Dave, a lot of people are afraid uh, that that conversation is going to go in a hard direction, and it, it can. You know, having been in Seattle, there are people who kind of have a chip on their shoulder. And if you ask about Jesus, they want they you're there now. You're their target. They want to go off on you. But I have found in the polling that I have done that at most 
That's five to 8% of the people in this country, five to 8% who are like that. Everybody else is willing to have a conversation. So why would we turn away from an opportunity to share truth and the hope of Jesus when one out of every 20 conversations might go sideways? Fear. It's fear. That's right. Yeah, it's fear. Or it's not pride because it's not knowing, you know, you might not know the answer to what they say. And the best answer to that is to say, I don't know, but you know what? Can we meet again in a, in a week or two? And let's have a conversation about that just to illustrate the point. you. Yeah, that's about. right. Oh, I love that. You know, the most credible speakers we have at Summit Ministries are the ones who will occasionally say, I don't know. The students, are, you know, these are all college-bound students. These are the best and the brightest. And, and, and they, they come to Summit Ministries with a lot of questions. We tell them, bring all of your hard questions with you. We're not afraid of any question. And when a speaker says, I don't know, I'm going to have to think about that a little bit. It's kind of the sense of relief. Oh, it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to not have a five-point answer to every single thing. Now, of course, we are to be prepared to have an answer. First Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give the reason for the hope that you have. But that does not mean that we have to be able to answer every single question without processing through it. Turn it into an invitation for more conversation. Can we talk about this more? Because I really want to think about it. And I don't want to just throw out something that may or may not be true. Yeah. It just uh, We can go to scripture and say, even the apostle Peter said, in Second Peter, that some of the things that Paul said were difficult. That means if it's a if it's hard for an apostle, guess what? It's going to be really, really hard for you, buddy. Really hard, and you're going to need that. You're going to need to study it, and you're going to need to think about it. So, yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, I, you know, and when I ended up in in hostile conversations, and that does happen, uh, I find that there are several things that I can do, and I, and I talk about this in the book. So, how do you handle a hostile conversation? It's not as hard as you think. The first thing you do is acknowledge that there are differences. In other words, you kind of talk about the talk. We see this very differently. Duh. You know, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> but, just to, but just to say it aloud, we see this very differently. And then the second thing is to acknowledge that it's okay to have differences. We see this very differently. And you know what? Our experiences in life may be so different that we shouldn't be surprised that we see this very differently. It's okay. It's okay to see things differently. And then you try to find some areas of commonality, but at least we both feel that we can use language to talk about something. <laughs> Even if we end up disagreeing, at least we know that we actually disagree. I mean, that's something. We both want things to be as good as they can be for the people who are around us. We both want to see justice done rather than justice uh, remaining elusive for people. We both want to see people have a sense of hope. There are a lot of things that we have in common, even if we disagree about the means of getting there in every single respect. So doing things like that allow you then to create a conversational opportunity. Mm, that's that's really good. Yeah, even, even among Christian spouses, it's okay. You can still love each other. Yeah, I'll make this really practical. Even if it, my wife and I disagree on end times, you know, that doesn't mean that we don't ever talk about end times, but we, we know where we agree to disagree 
And that is totally okay because we're talking about the timing of the various things. And we still, but we still love each other. And that, that should be marriage is a really good opportunity to have these types of conversations and where you can agree to disagree. And then you take that out from your marriage and into the community, into church, and you agree to disagree with a lot of people. And you're going to agree to disagree on all sorts of secondary and, you know, third order matters and like, like the entrance and other things. And guess what? You can still love and you can still care and you can still serve one another. So. That's right. That take more a little practical. That's super practical because what you're, what you're, what you're, what I'm hearing you talk about is that in your marriage, you are, you're willing to fight for one another more than you're willing to fight with one another. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And then, and then you're able to have those conversations where it's like, oh, but to illustrate the point, what you said, you're able to say, oh, what do you mean by this? What, what is, what what do you mean by that or or you know investigating further asking further for further clarification that's right maybe like my wife will be like well you know i just want you to to hear me when i say this and if i'm wrong i'm wrong you can tell me i'm wrong and if i got it wrong and if i missed something or whatever but just listen and hear me out and then you know come back and you know say what you wanted to say and that kind of illustrates the point of what what you're saying. I think, um, from what I heard you say, because you know these are just good conversation things that that tips uh, helps to help you, uh, you in your communicating the truth with your spouse, with your with your neighbor, with uh, somebody at church. You know, everybody everybody wants to be heard, and nobody wants to be talked down to. Nobody wants to be feel stupid. And, uh, you know, so, um, you know, and, and, and by the way, just to take this back to the Bible, Ephesians 4.15 commands us to speak the truth in love. So we're just trying to illustrate that principle. So, yeah, yeah. I love conversations like this because I, I feel even as I'm having the conversation with you, Dave, that fear starts to melt away and that I think, oh, it's okay to have difficult conversations. Difficult conversations are a part of life. We grow through difficult conversations, but we have what we're learning is that you don't handle difficult conversations by charging in like a bulldozer, nor do you handle them by avoiding them. You know, you have your truth. I have my truth kind of thing. Instead, you advocate. We become advocates. We become advocates for the truth and we become advocates for other people. Yeah, that's really good. Well, brother, as we head down uh, towards ending our time together. Uh, where can people uh, find more about you uh, on social media or otherwise? And again, tell our audience about Summit Ministries and what you do. Yes. Well, our, our website is summit.org, two M's, one T, dot org, summit.org. And at that website, you can find out about my book, Truth Changes Everything. Or you can just Google Truth Changes Everything and you'll you'll find it right away. Uh, that That book is available starting this week this is a brand new a brand new book just coming out and it might be one that you want to pick up read get an extra copy for a friend who you think is wrestling about truth they don't even have to agree with it just ask them to look over it and even if they just have the opportunity to share where they disagree at least you started the conversation 
a lot of small groups, a lot of churches are going to be using the book starting this week as well. Awesome. But we also want to, we also want, I want, really want everybody to know that the Summit Ministries program is here for you. If you have young adults who are 16 to 22 years of age, they're in that difficult transition period in life. Listen, George Barna has said that you, basically the worldview you have at age 13 is the one you're going to go to your grave with. And I believe that's largely true. However, a window of opportunity opens up during significant transition periods. The significant transition period between high school and college, the significant transition between college and career, the significant transition from singlehood to family. Those different times, those are the times when people's hearts open up. And for 16 to 22 year olds, one of the most important things we can do for them is give them an experience where they listen to and engage with and ask questions of and process through the ultimate truth. There is a God. Jesus is really real. He really did rise from the dead. And this changes everything, not just in theology, but in our whole understanding of reality and our whole understanding of right and wrong and what makes a good society and what makes a good set of laws and everything else. Mm, it's really good, brother. Well, as we land the plane now, and as I always say at the end of these, you know, there's so much to talk about and we really have always scratched the surface. So uh, can you give us a few takeaways, brother? I'd love for people, if, if you remember nothing else, just remember this, the truth exists. It is not mainly a mathematical formula or a logical proposition. It's a person. It's Jesus. In times of crisis, especially, the question we have to decide is not how can I change the world, but how do I live faithfully as a Jesus follower who believes that Jesus is the truth and just do that in every area of my life? Mm -hmm. Now, it's not easy. An area That's why in the book, I focus on areas like science and education and even politics because some of these are very difficult areas to learn how to live the truth. But people did it in the past. We can do the same thing, and we can bring flourishing in our own time. Mm, wonderful, brother. Wonderful. Well, guys, we've been talking today with Jeff Myers about his book, Truth Changes Everything, How People of Faith Can Transform the World in Times of Crisis. Guys, I want to encourage you to go pick up this book. It is really good. It is really helpful. It's full of lots of stories. It's full of God's word and it, it, it is full of help. So thank you, Jeff, so much for writing the book and for your time today. And may God bless you and the ministry of Summit. David, and thanks. And I appreciate your ministry as well. Thank you for everything you do. I so appreciate your ministry of discipleship. And I really enjoyed the conversation. Me too, brother. Me too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.